Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. And welcome back to the program again this week. And thank you for joining us and taking time out of your schedule. I know in the last couple of months we have actually uh, gone on a different time slot than you were normally used to watching us, so we probably lost some of our audience from the afternoon uh, time schedule to now being on prime time. Uh, but we welcome you back to the program. We have been traveling for the last several months, and so what you have been watching on your uh, TV that we've been airing has been footage from uh, locations where we have been preaching uh, throughout the summer. And uh, I really wished we would have had some footage from our trip to Brazil uh, because it was absolutely incredibly phenomenal both in Brasilia, Brazil, and in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, the response of the people of God in that great nation and their hunger is unprecedented. And we literally had thousands of people that were impacted by the gospel and by the power of these cameras and uh, and uh, because we not only air this program in the United States, but once we have uh, aired the program, we upload it to our YouTube channel, and we have an audience all over the world. And what's really cool about um, YouTube is that when we put closed captioning on our TV program, and you have to do that if you're going to air program nationally, that when you put the closed captioning on that and then you upload it to YouTube, it translates it in every language around the globe. So if you've got friends that speak Spanish or you've got friends that speak Portuguese or any other language and you want to share the gospel with them, share these YouTube videos on your social media or with your friends because they can at least read the text. And we have uh, been receiving like a lot of response from people even in other countries who are watching the program via YouTube. I'm so thankful for technology that can be both good and bad, but I think when we use it in a good way, it's such a blessing. And so even with that being said, let me just say thank you from the bottom of our heart for your support and for your partnership. Without you, it is impossible to do this. And I think we are getting ready to, uh, this is our 13th year of being on national television, and we have truly reached an audience and made a difference. So there will be a way to give towards the end of this uh, program. If you'd like to think about becoming a partner or you'd like to sow a seed in the ministry, there'll be a way to do it, and I'll talk about it at the end of the program. But I want to get into the Word again uh, today, this evening, and, and tell you that we've been unpacking a series uh, from the book of Josh, or from the book, I'm sorry, from the book of Judges. I'm not going to take a long time to review except to tell you that the key to every book of the Bible is somewhere near the door. Uh, in the book of Joshua, it opens by saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. And then uh, there's a replacement for Moses, and that is Joshua, because Moses brought you out, but Joshua is going to bring you in. And so the, uh, the type and shadow of what that pictures to me is that Moses speaks of the law, and Jesus, or Yeshua, Joshua, is the Hebrew name Jesus, is going to bring you in. Moses brought you out with a rod. Jesus, or Joshua, is going to bring you in with a mercy seat. And I don't think it is an accident that when you come to the book of Matthew, chapter number 3, John the Baptist is in the River Jordan at probably the same location they crossed over 
the Jordan into the promised land hundreds of years prior to that. And now, now, now uh, John the Baptist is about to carry Jesus, Joshua, who's a picture also of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, into the Jordan River, because now in the New Testament they are crossing over, this time not out of a physical bondage, but out of a spiritual bondage of an old covenant. And John's message was, repent, the kingdom is at hand, and now behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he's introducing Yeshua, the Hebrew name Joshua. That to me, if I would have been standing there on the bank of that Jordan River, and I saw this picture repeated, and there's, if you'd like to read more about that, this book, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift, is a powerful, powerful book. You need to get this. You can get it from us at our website or from Amazon. But this book talks about John the Baptist bringing Jesus into the River Jordan and saying to them, repent, change the way you think, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That repentance is more than just, I need to get saved. He was talking about repentance, which means metanoia is the Greek word. It means to change the way you think. So he's telling them, you need to shift the way you think because we're coming out of something, but the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, a new form of government's coming on the scene. And this to me is so vitally important, but I think one of the biggest mistakes we make in the church is we think that when Jesus preached the kingdom and John the Baptist preached the kingdom, that he was talking about where you go when you die. That's not really what the gospel of the kingdom is about, because if you read the gospel where he's talking about the gospel of the kingdom, it was not other world stuff, it was this world stuff, and it was what would bring about this new covenant in reality to bring what Deuteronomy 10 says, the days of heaven on earth to bring the kingdom of God into their reality. And so it was like them moving from uh, Egypt into a promised land and living in the promised land, not just when you die, but right now uh, in this present time that you could literally uh, enjoy the blessings of the promised land. Now the promised land, according to the fourth chapter of Hebrews, is not a piece of real estate. It is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so when we enter into the promised land, what we're entering into is what has been exacted for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the book of Joshua is about what you came out of and what you are going into. So when Moses, my servant, is dead, that speaks to me. Now the law is not in the picture. Now the leader is Joshua, Hebrew name Yeshua, English name Jesus. So Moses brought you out, but Jesus is going to bring us in. And when the manna ceased, it was because God was about to cause them to eat from the fruit of the promised land. We covered a lot of that on the last program. But as we launch into this study on the book of Judges, then we ended last week with the very first verse, which is the key to the book of Judges. So the key to the book of Judges is in verse 1. Now after the death of Joshua, say it another way, now after the death of Yeshua, or to be even more clear, now after the death of Jesus. In other words, if Joshua was about after what happens after the death of Moses, Yeshua comes on the scene to bring the people who were brought out of Egypt into the promised land, then the book of Joshua is about what happens after the death of Jesus. Now in the new covenant, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, 
there are 12 apostles who Jesus said would sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. But in the book of Judges, there are 12 judges. And these judges do something in the visible realm that is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For instance, uh, Gideon is threshing wheat, and he is hiding it under the winepress. Now, because I think in types and shadows, and I think that these types and shadows is God teaching us a language of how to understand what the Spirit is trying to say to us. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, we wouldn't understand that when John the Baptist says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, you would not understand what that Lamb was about if you had never read the book of Exodus where they took a lamb out from among the sheep and the goats and they put the blood on the doorpost of the house and took the lamb inside the house. Those are icons, or if you will, that, that's, a, that's a modern term for it, but a type and shadow that's saying, hey, there's a message here. It's a language that God was trying to teach us so that when we get into, especially even the book of Revelation, if you don't understand the Old Testament and what its types and shadows and pictures were pointing towards Christ and seek through the lens of the redemptive work of Christ and see uh, what God was trying to say all the way through these types and shadows, you get to the book of Revelation, you're going to be so confused, you're going to try to interpret it with the newspaper, or you're going to try to uh, interpret it with current events, which is what so many are doing. But if you would realize that when he starts out even in the book of Revelation, he says, I saw a lamb as if it had been slain. Well, the only way you know what that means is because you've read the rest of the Bible, and you've learned the language of the Spirit. And you know, that's not talking about a barnyard creature going, bah. that's talking about Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. So when I come over here into the book of Judges, and it says, now it came to pass, now, now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children asked the Lord, saying, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. There's so much in this series we're going to unpack over the weeks to come. But this to me is so very, very powerful. But before I come, now after, now after the death of Joshua it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord. Now see, so after the death of Joshua is a powerful picture of what should uh, be our reality after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, with that, I want us to take a look at Psalm number 149, because this kind of also is going to be a key verse or a key piece of Scripture in this series, because it talks about executing the judgment. So these judges were people who were, we're going to see in this series, were ordinary people. And they were actually not only ordinary people, but they were every last single one of them was flawed with some kind of human weakness. Gideon was a coward. Uh, Jephthah was the son of a harlot. Uh, Samson had women trouble, but God used them in spite of their human weakness. So this whole series is going to be about God doing extraordinary things through ordinary people with unusual weapons. Some of them had ox goats, some of them had the jawbone of an ass, others had uh, a nail. Uh, it, it's some powerful, powerful stuff in this. But when we're talking about the book of Judges, I felt like I needed to lay this scriptural verse, this scripture chapter in Psalm 49. So praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, and His praise in the assembly of the saints. So the very first thing that happens when I read Psalm 149 verse 1 is, sing unto the Lord 
a new song. So the new song is not the newest song that the latest artist released. The new song is found in Revelation chapter 5, I believe it is, of the book of Revelation, where it says, And they sang, as it were, a new song, singing, Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, and you're worthy. So they began to sing praise, but the new song was the new song of redemption, or the new song of the new covenant. So that sets the stage for me and what we need to be singing. I think sometimes we need to revamp some of the songs we've been singing because some of them really come from old covenant paradigms. We're begging God for stuff we've already got. And, uh, you know, we're trying to get God to do what He's already done or something He asked me to do. And so we waste more time praying about that when God says, hey, listen, man, you know, I told you to do it or I've already done it. You just need to operate in the reality of what is true. So he's singing to the Lord a new song. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Now when I think about the children of Zion, again, this is another iconic scripture that's talking about the new covenant. You say, well, how do you connect that? Well, I connect it with the 12th chapter of Hebrews where he said, for you did not come to blackness and darkness. You did not come to fear and trembling. You did not come to a God who says, stay away. You did not come to the uh, God who says, so fearful was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly uh, fear and, and quake. That was Mount Sinai. But he said, you did not come to that. That was old covenant, Mount Sinai. But he stops there and he says, but you are come. You're not marching there. You have already come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which is written in heaven, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So when I think about Zion, we have, we're not coming to Zion in the new covenant. We are in Zion. And so when we're singing a new song, it's the new song of the new covenant. When we are uh, talking about the children of Zion marching, or we, that's still again another new covenant concept. Let them praise His name with the dance. Let them sing praises to Him with the temporal harp, for the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. He gives more grace to the humble, the Scripture says. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. That's another iconic verse that to me, when he says, let them sing aloud on their beds, the bed to me symbolizes the place of rest. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let them sing from the posture of rest. Let them sing the new song. Let them sing from Zion. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Here's another iconic verse, and I'm going to deal with this one more when we deal with the judge called Ehud. But the two-edged sword is found in Hebrews 4. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. But if you look at the context of that, in the fourth chapter of Hebrews, the verse above that talks about entering into God's rest. So once again, the posture of rest is the position from which the sword that's two-edged flows. And that's powerful because it's life-giving. Now, the Word of God is life-giving. It's quick. That doesn't, uh, the, the King James says that's an old English word. It doesn't mean it's fast. It means it's life-giving and powerful. So the word that flows from rest is a word that is life-giving and powerful. And then this is the verse that I'm after, to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them 
the written judgment. Now watch this. To execute on them the written judgment, this honor, this honor, have all His saints praise you the Lord. Now, before you think I'm going to revert to an old covenant dynamic and talk about executing a judgment, I think we need to have a shift in the way we think again. Because these to me are iconic verses that are dealing with how, what it means to flow from a new covenant perspective and execute a judgment that is written. Now, I think sometimes if we think in terms of old covenant, we're going to think about, you know, calling down fire from heaven. And I think it's incredible that even when Peter, James, and John come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, where Moses and Elijah had just appeared to Jesus, and Peter thought, well, we need to build three tabernacles and make this Jesus plus Moses, Jesus plus Elijah, Mo Jesus plus something. And the Father interrupted that, said, this is my son, hear him. This is Jesus plus nothing. But the following few verses, Jesus sets his face as though he would go to one city, and the people of this city near them did not receive them. And Peter said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven like Elijah did? He's using an old covenant, biblical precedents to say, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? Is that the kind of judgment you're looking for. And Jesus turns around and rebukes Peter. And listen, I don't mean this as being, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a rebuke in the sense of trying to be offensive, but I want to say to some prophets that are prophesying, the sky is falling and prophesying, calling down judgment and fire from heaven on people. Uh, maybe you don't know what spirit you're of. Jesus rebuked Peter and he said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Now let me just say this. It did not mean that he was rebuking them for having a demonic spirit. It meant he was rebuking them for operating under an old covenant spirit or an old covenant paradigm because he's using Elijah as the picture. And Jesus says in that text, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So you say, well, how can we execute judgment then upon their nobles and their, and their kings? Well, the, I start thinking about in terms of what uh, this would symbolize in the new covenant. And I would think about, well, that's symbolizing principalities and powers or things that are governing principles in our lives. Some of the, if you will, thinking back to the book of Judges and Joshua, driving out some of the inhabitants of the land that we have determined that we're willing to live with. There are things in our lives that we have made leagues or covenants with that God is after that uh, we can apply the judgment of the finished work of Jesus Christ to. So when he says to execute upon them the judgment written this honor of all of his saints, when I used to preach this years ago, when I was a legalist, before I got a revelation of grace, I would think of this in terms of, bless God, we just going to call down fire from heaven. We're going to, you know, but the truth of it is, thank God, we didn't have the power. We thought we did because there's some preacher somewhere that's been mad at every city or some church, and we'd have probably created a lot of devastation in the earth. So thank God for unanswered prayers in that dimension of, 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 of if you will, ignorance. But when I was preaching this, my attorney came to me one time, and he said to me, Lynn, judgment is not always a bad thing. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, if you are ever in a court case and I'm defending you, or you are the plaintiff in the case, 
and you win the case, and the, the judge looks down at you, if you are the plaintiff, and he says that the judgment is in favor of the plaintiff. That's extremely good news. So uh, what I want you to understand is that there was a judgment that was in your favor. Jesus took everything you had coming so you could get what He has coming. He was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement for your peace was laid upon Him by whose stripes we are healed so that we have the right now to execute upon things that are trying to invade uh, our land, our inheritance. We have the right to execute the judgment that was written. And so to me, these are the applications of being able to uh, execute. These 12 judges speak to me of what we need to execute as far as the judgment on some of these things that are principalities and kings and, and nobles that we have allowed to live in our land. I think that this is what the book of Judges is about. God sent them in and He says, get rid of this stuff. Dispossess nations that are greater than you. You got to diss what's dissing you. And I said it in the last program, but we need to diss disease because disease is a lack of ease. Probably most of the physical problems we have in our bodies is because we're not in rest. We need to diss discouragement because we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We need to diss disappointment because we've been anointed and appointed. And as a matter of fact, when he says to them in the book of Joshua, uh, or in the book of Judges. Now after the death of Joshua, here's the judgment that's going to take place because of what Jesus did in His death, burial, and resurrection. He said, who will go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah will go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hands. So Judah said to Simeon, to his brother, this is Judges 1 verse 3, Come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. Now, let me tell you that the very first thing he said is, listen, we're going to conquer some enemies that are in our land. And he said, who will we go send up first? He said, you're going to send Judah first. And he uh, gets a, a coalition with his brother Simeon, and they go up together to conquer. But I've, you know, I was going to, there's a lot of little details here that I'm not able to preach when I'm on the road, but I think they're powerful concepts. Send Judah first. So here's the thing that begins to happen to me. When I start to see that there are still things that are in our land and uh, uh, enemies that we need to conquer, I think about the power of praise because Judah's name means praise. And even when Jesus taught us how to pray, He started out by saying, Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done. But he starts out with a praise. You know, my youngest son and I were talking the other day uh, while we were just riding down the road, and he was talking about some things that his wife, who is a chiropractor, was talking about. Uh, you know, how that you can have positive thoughts and uh, it causes your body to react different. You can have negative thoughts, and when you have negative thoughts, it causes your body uh, to uh, operate different. And she was using chiropractic terms, but really there's some biblical stuff. It says, you know, grief dries the bone, 
a broken spirit causes you problems. Uh, you know, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are honest, whatever things are of a good report, think on these things. Because what happens when we start to, and I think we've been in a season, and I'm not trying to put anybody else down, but I, you know, uh, we, because this is something that I really have to discipline myself at. Because sometimes we, we, we complain, as Asaph said in Psalm 77, until our spirit is overwhelmed. We start talking about how bad the economy is. We start talking about, well, I'm getting older. Well, I'm expecting, you know, my aches and pains to start, or this is my cancer, or my sugar diabetes, or my uh, migraines, or my, 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 my. But see, what you're doing is you're claiming ownership of that. Dispossess that. It's not yours. It might be trying to invade your land, but let's execute the judgment written and let's start out by realizing how powerful praise is and how powerful it is to start thinking on positive things. Uh, you know, I have had to struggle, especially since COVID began with, you know, uh, even because things have slowed down. The Lord's been gracious and I mean, He's, he's miraculously met our needs, but as things have begun to slow down, you know, sometimes we, even as pastors and leaders think, well, I need to do something you know, to kind of make this work, to keep this going. But after a while I realized, this is not my ministry, it's His. It's not my responsibility, it's His. And when I rest and then I start to think about how many times God has miraculously met the needs. For 44 years we've been in full-time traveling ministry. And I have to say, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seed baked bread. There were times we went through some lean years, but I think it also made me thankful for the good years. I'm thinking the other day when I was riding down the road preaching, I had a good car to go preach in. I can remember the times when I had cars that the transmission was slipping in, that going through the seats and getting coins out of the seat to be able to fill the gas tank up have to go to the grocery store with a calculator to see if you had enough money to buy the groceries. And I think about where God has brought us. He's brought us a mighty long way. And I would encourage you today, go back and look at the faithfulness of God, the times He healed your body, the times He saved your life, the time He rescued your children, the time He stood up on your behalf. And I have looked at the Lord and all of His faithfulness, and all it does to me is make me want to say, Thank you, Jesus. Hallowed be your name. Hallelujah. And when I think about the goodness of God and what He's done for me, my soul cries hallelujah. And I believe that's the beginning of driving out the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and all of the things that become kings and nobles in our lives that need to be pulled down by executing the judgment written. And that's what the book of Judges is all about. Now, we're about to run out of time, so I want to just take a moment to say thank you again for your partnership and your faithfulness, especially during this season, has been phenomenal, and we appreciate you from the bottom of our heart. If you have uh, not become a partner and you'd like to, the easiest way to do that is to go to my website, and there's a, there's a portal where you can give through our PayPal portal, but you can also give through credit card, debit card there. You can sign up a monthly debit if you'd like to do something on a monthly basis, or uh, you can send a check or a money order, or you can call the number that will come up on the screen and someone will take your call. If you don't get an answer on the phone, please leave a message and someone from my team will return your call. But do it today. We need your help. God bless you. Thank you. Join us again next week. 
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.